Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. I have the honor of sharing some thoughts on our next characteristic of a spirit-filled culture, which is unity. And I have no slides, so you get to look at this the whole time. Um, To start off, though, I heard that last week Pastor Chris, I was in kids' church, last week Pastor Chris said, I'm going to give you five G's for the fivefold, and he only gave you one. So I'm going to fill that out. If note-takers, you want to get your notes ready. So he, he talked about, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, somewhere around verse 11, it says, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the building up of the saints, for the equipping of the work, that's my paraphrase, in the body of Christ. And uh, so the five G's are the way that we remember what the fivefold does, because we, we, we have fivefold ministry here in this house. We believe in apostles, prophets, <laughs> evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So apostles govern, and Chris covered that really well. Now, apostles are the vision casters. They're the ones that, that get the blueprints for how to do things, what structures should look like. They're the visionaries. Okay, and then prophets guide. They're really good at, at, at hearing exactly what God is saying in the moment. And the apostles and prophets are called to work together so that the apostles' vision and how is directed towards the North Star of God's word. And prophets are really good at saying, hey, this, this feels sideways. Let's talk about this. And then you ferret out something that might not be going quite right or you can head off potential problems. It's great. It's a great synergy that happens there. And then evangelists, I'll give you one, one guess for what the evangelists do that starts with a G. Yes, they gather. Evangelists gather. That's pretty self-explanatory. I love evangelists. They're so fun. Um, We've got a couple in the house, and they're really starting to take off. And then next, pastors guard. Evangelists gather. Pastors guard. They guard hearts. They guard souls. They care. They care for those who are wounded, who are struggling. That's just instinctive. It's how they're built and how they're made. And uh, so everyone who carries the title pastor isn't necessarily a pastor in the fivefold. Because in Ephesians 4, it says, God gives some to be apostles, prophets. God gives the gift of people to the church to fill these, these offices, right? So pastors guard and teachers ground. Teachers ground us in the word. They dive in. They love to do word studies. They love to teach. They love to talk about all the particulars, and really dig stuff out. And that really gives us good soil to work with, to sink our own roots down deep, because they're the ones that love to dive in and then share, you know, what they're learning. So apostles govern, prophets guide, um, evangelists gather, pastors guard, and teachers ground. And you need all five to have a healthy, functioning church. Um, so there's that. I love the fivefold ministry. I love talking about it. Anyway, I don't get to preach about it today, and that's okay. So <clears throat> Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to reveal the love and power of God and to be a refuge for healing, center for equipping, launch pad for transformation. I know I've already said that at least twice today, but... That's what we are, and that's what we do. And we're called not only to heal, equip, and transform locally, but globally. We've had so many prophetic words about what our reach will be eventually. We are an equipping center. And and I'm excited to see when people from nations around the world start to come in to learn what it is that God's worked in us that they need to take back. Um, we actually we already have some ministry that goes out to nations. I think that will also be a part of it. We had our team go to Nicaragua. I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say at the potluck today. And so in order to carry out the vision and the mission of this church that I've already repeated three times, I won't say it again. <laughs> we, need, we need a team of really unified leaders, serve team leaders, which for those of you who don't go here, 
serve team leaders are kind of like deacons that oversee different ministries, whether it's worship or our connect team or our kids ministry. Those are our serve team leaders. So my question that I want you to kind of be thinking about today is where are you called? What part of the body of Christ are you called to be planted in, to invest in, to love and serve in? And what is your mission in the moment? What is it that God's asking you to do right now? What's your next step? May not be what your big overarching life purpose is. But man, let me tell you, God's taken me through all kinds of things that have prepared me to be where I am today to lead an entire service. It's amazing. He's so good. All righty. So I'm going to quote Mark Mark Crawford. I'm a little excited. Can you guys tell? (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Excitement is natural for me. I forgot to pray. So let's pray real quick. God, just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity today. We love you so much. Thank you for the joy that's in the room and for the way that you bring so many things together, that you're always working whether we can see it or not. Thank you, God, that we can trust that, that you're always working, and at the right time, you just bring all this stuff together. We're like, oh my gosh, that's what you were doing? God, you're so good. God, I pray that the words I speak today are your words, that the people in this congregation, see they're listening, will hear your voice, and Holy Spirit, that you will speak to hearts and minds the messages that they need to hear, that your work can be done today, that your name, Lord, will be glorified above every other name. God, we set you on the throne and we say the service is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently on an Insight Now podcast, and Insight Now is um, a small group of prophets that get together and talk every week. Mark Crawford, who's coming this next weekend and is good friends with our lead pastor, Chris, said, we've got to put aside protesting and start to embrace a unity that is particularly strong in diversity. We're not going to see the extent of the era, the full extent of what God wants to do in this era, if we cannot embrace the unity that is far beyond our natural ability to be unified. I was listening to the podcast, I'm like, that right there is, I've just, I just keep reading it and thinking about it. Like we have to, we have to be willing to be in unity. And I'll, I'll talk about what that really means, the nitty gritty of it in a second but we have to be willing to let God stretch us beyond our natural ability in that. Because Ephesians 3.20, he wants to do more than we can never imagine or think, right? So unity, the state or property of being one. And as I was, I have kind of a teaching bent, so as I was digging this out, I was really excited to find that it comes from an ancient root meaning one and unique. Isn't that cool? Kind of means it's opposite. Like unity is all of us together. And yet there's an aspect of being unique, every single one of us in that unity. Unity is not uniformity. It's not conformity. Here we have a saying, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's how we define unity. right? I love you, and you can't mess it up, because that's how Jesus loves. So that's what we try to do here. Um, another, another way we talk about unity is we say, I will willingly cooperate with you, Setting aside our differences so they have no power to divide us. And one thing I heard said, this was a long time ago, about the two main political parties in the country is with one party, it only takes one issue to divide them. And with the other main party, it only takes one issue to unite them. Guess which one tends to make really strong inroads in elections and social influence? The ones that are united by one thing instead of divided by one thing. So in unity, we, you know, like, we are not going to all agree on all kinds of things all the time. The question is, are we going to die on all those hills before we get to establish the kingdom of God even a little bit more? I don't want to do that. And you all are free to have your own opinions on it. Alrighty, so Paul explained the reality of unity amongst believers this way. And this is Ephesians 4, 5 and 6. He wrote, The Lord God is one, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And he is the perfect Father who leads us all 
works through us all, and lives in us all. Now, unity comes at a very real cost. Because darn it, sometimes I want to be right. Like, sometimes I just want to be right. I want to be the most correct person in the room. And I can't, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to listen to my ego or my pride or my fill-in-the-blank. Right? There are all kinds of different motivations that we have for wanting to be the most correct person in the room, to win that argument. Right? So unity calls us to lay down all kinds of things. Which, interestingly enough, is the same set of things that we're called to lay down as believers. Right? Because in order, what did Jesus pray in the garden? That they can be one in me as I am in you. Jesus' victory meant that we are one with him and with the Father. And that means, guess what? We're one with each other, too. Which is kind of mind-blowing, and I have a, a long way to go. But we're called into this incredibly grand, I mean, we're called to be one with the Trinity. Like, I'm, I still meditate on that, and I'm blown away by it. Because it's, what talk about a huge open-armed welcome into the most perfect community of love ever, anywhere. Okay, so in order to practice healthy unity, we got to do two things. And I talked about one already, giving up our, um, our need to be right. And the other one is, are you ready? A little bit of a hot button word here. We need to practice healthy submission, right? <laughs> um, submission has a checkered past in the church. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like I just said, giving up your need to be right that's a small example of submitting your opinions to someone else. You don't have to conquer them. You can say, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to fight that fight. I'll submit to, the, to what's going on at hand. And I'll talk a little bit more about this later. Um, oh, no, I won't. I'll talk about it now. <laughs> um, my notes are really small today. <laughs> so um, last week, for those of you who were here, Chris did a great job talking a little bit about um, the unhealthy controlling model of authority in the church. And um, what takes its place is what we call mutual submission, where we cooperate with one another. Like I said earlier, I'm, I'm willing to set aside my differences so we can cooperate together. Um, for the Greek geeks out there, original language people, the word is hupotasso, and it really literally means mutual submission. Um, and it's scattered throughout the Bible, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So when there's not someone controlling everything and micromanaging everything around us, we have a group of unified believers that are empowered and who willingly cooperate with one another. And then we get to really dive into the work of the kingdom. Right? For those of you, has anybody ever driven horses or trained horses? Like when you have a team of horses they got to be going the same direction. Because if one of them is trying to go this way or freaking out, you don't get anywhere. Because the strength of that horse is wasted in the freak out that he's having or the direction he's trying to pull instead of pulling the load. Okay, so submitting our own ideas and desires, putting them second to the issue at hand as often as we possibly can. Right? That's Mutual submission, and that creates powerful synergy. And this mutual submission, it's about loving one another and building one another up in our faith. That's the whole goal, is to learn to love more like Jesus and to build one another up. So why do we want unity? <laughs> Shannon wants everyone to get along, and so do I. <laughs> um, well... So that scripture that I referenced earlier is one of the, the big things that jumped out at me as I was prepping for this. Um, it's really at, at the, one of the core reasons Jesus came. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, 
that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you've loved me. So unity also creates synergy, which that's our word for the year. Um, I should have done that in the beginning, but our, our thing for the year is taking ground through synergy. As we work together, the kingdom of God expands. Um, so unity also creates synergy, which releases greater anointing and authority. That's another big reason we want unity. Because each one of us can carry a certain amount of responsibility ourselves and a certain amount of authority ourselves directly from the Lord. But at the same time, we're only one person. And there are, there are callings and, and missions that need to be accomplished either with a family type group or with an army. Freedom House has a family running it. You know, believers that have come together who are unified, who are changing lives. Alrighty, so let's talk about anointing for a second, how unity releases anointing. For those of you who want to turn to Psalm 133, go ahead and do that. Psalm 133, 1 through 3. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So, unity is good and pleasant. It's enough for me. <laughs> There's plenty of strife and conflict in the world. I love having a group of people that I can just come and be good and pleasant with. And it says, um, and then oil in the scriptures is a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? That anointing oil. The priestly anointing in the Old Testament is Literally, Aaron, the first, he was the first to receive it, but then other priests did down the line. Aaron being just doused with oil, like it was poured on his head and it did drip down his beard and onto his clothing and onto the ground. There was so much, you know, incredibly fragranced oil. So unity is like that precious oil on the head, running down the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments. So unity releases anointing. And then it says, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. It fosters growth. In the seasons when the rain doesn't fall as much, dew is what waters the plants. So it sustains and fosters growth, unity does. And then the last one, um, unity releases blessing, life forevermore. I love the Bible. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's, that's a good verse. Um. You know, one thing about unity fostering growth, when there's no conflict, children can learn. And when there is a lot of conflict and stress, children's brains literally change how they develop so that they, they don't learn as well. They can't adapt. They, they develop great adaptive skills to learn to survive in their environment and thrive as best they can, but they don't develop the same. And a lot of times um, people have to go back and renegotiate, relearn different things um, when they get healing from, from growing up in conflict. So unity really does foster growth in so many ways. Alrighty. So unity also releases authority. And I, I love the centurion in Matthew 8. He comes to Jesus. He says, hey, will you, will you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes, I'll be right there. And the centurion answers him this way in Matthew 8. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And I always scratched my head when I read that for years and years and years, because the centurion said, I'm a man under authority, when I always expected him to say, I'm a man having authority. 
And yet, it's from being submitted to authority that we receive authority. Right? My, my history and time here at Harvest and in being unified with leadership and serving and loving is the reason that I have the authority to do what I'm doing right now. This, there's no way that I could have ever done all of this by myself. But I'm called to serve here, and I'm called to labor here, and I'm called to do things here. And unity has been a huge part of what has fitted me for this work. Because let me tell you, unity does a number on you. So in a unified group, authority has everything to do with responsibility. So the centurion was given responsibility that he then carried out. And in order to carry out that responsibility, he has to have authority to do it. So I just wanted to touch on that tight relationship between authority and responsibility. Um, one thing I really wanted to share is just say that what I'm, what I'm talking about today comes from a, a place of, of knowing for myself. Um, because I was raised in a very, very rigid, top-down, hierarchical church structure. And, um, like, unquestioning blind obedience was required of me. It didn't matter if my instructions agreed with Scripture or not. And, uh, yeah, that was finally when I was like, i got to find something different. This is not working for me. Um, but, you know, when I finally started questioning and, and working my way out of that, it took the Lord a lot of years to heal the trust issues that I had with leadership. Because the leadership that I had been taught to trust since I was an infant, you know, modeled for me, trusting them, supporting them, saying yes to everything. Like that, walking away from that really broke my trust in leadership. And so um, what I'm talking about today comes from a place of me really, really pressing into this and saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying about this? Really tell me. How should I see this? Should I trust this guy that's running this church? How should I trust this guy that's running this church? And how do I deal with it when... Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking things that I know for myself, not just parroting a party line. Um, and one thing I can say about the way that authority and submission is done here is that it really is mutual. You know, Chris has a great deal of responsibility in this church, Pastor Chris does. And so, you know, with the denomination, he's where the buck stops for everything. Um, and at the same time, it took me several years to wrap my head around the level of cooperation that he has with the people who serve here and people who attend here. Someone comes up and says, I really want to do this thing. Well, let's have a conversation. And, you know, let's, let's figure out what your next step is, how to get to that thing. If you feel called, let's figure it out. It's not, well, I really don't want you to do that, so I'm going to find an excuse and put you off. It's, yeah, mind-blowing how much Chris really does willingly cooperate, mutually submit to the people here. Um, and so getting here and learning, you know, healing from all that broken trust. Um, and then I got to enter a new season of testing where I got hurt by leadership here. I'm like, okay, God, you told me to trust these people, right? And those times, not just for me, but for everybody involved, like it was confusing and painful and lonely and difficult. Um, but because everyone was working towards the same goal, because we didn't give up, I know I'm called here. So that gave me the strength to walk out those times where I was like, God, are you sure you want me here? Um, but I pressed in. Everyone pressed in. Pressed into the Lord. We pressed into what Holy Spirit was saying. And let me tell you, God is faithful. Most of you know this already in other contexts, but God is faithful to finish what he begins if we will just not quit. Right? All right, so let's talk a little bit about obstacles to unity. You ready? The first one's a big one, offense. Right? The Greek word for offense in the New Testament is scandalon. It means bait stick. It's literally the trigger in a trap. Right? And offense would be so attractive sometimes. Because most of the times we're justified. Something happened and we're upset about it. 
And we have a right to be upset about it because it wasn't right. And, like, there's a place for processing and healing and counseling and everything, right? And if anyone has questions about anything I'm saying, please see me after. I'm trying to be clear. Um, but, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Pamela. <laughs> awesome. Um, so Jesus said offenses will come. Not like, once you follow me, everything's fine. And we, we all sing happy songs all day long and nobody ever makes any mistakes. No, he said offenses will come from misunderstandings, miscommunications, from seeing something happen between two people and then you suddenly feel protective for one of them because you didn't like what the other person did. And then you go tell so-and-so and so-and-so and build a case around what you think happened. It's called a third-party offense. Those are especially nasty because they happen in here. And then they, they start the drama swirl out here. Um, but yeah, so do we, how do we handle them? Well, whenever something happens, whether it's a third-party offense or something directly happens to you, we believe the best. That's one of our core values of relationship here, believing the best. Like an example is when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. You know, we all know the different options that are available to us. We can use some creative sign language. <laughs> um, you know, or some colorful language. Or we can start praying for them. God, I don't know what's going on in their lives and I don't know why they cut me off. But I pray you bless them. I pray that they get to where they're going safely. They don't hurt themselves or anyone else. And whatever it is that's on their mind and on their heart, God, will you send your spirit to bless them and set them free. Send angels in human form into their lives so that they encounter you. And whatever it is that's sideways in them can be set right in Jesus' name. Like, I wasn't necessarily, I don't necessarily speak colorful sign language, but I have been known to be upset when people cut me off in traffic. But I really prefer the prayer now. <laughs> and my son laughs the loudest in the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> pray. It's really great. Pray instead. I can. <laughs> He's a good and faithful son. <laughs> um, yeah, we believe the best. Get curious and ask questions. You know, Matthew, I can't remember which verse or which chapter of Matthew, I think it's 18, says, you know, if someone's offended you, go talk to them. But ask questions. Hey, I noticed this, it doesn't seem like you. What's going on? Even, even if it does seem like them. <laughs> Believe the best. Like, maybe my impression wasn't correct. So what's going on? You know, ask questions. And you can tell you, that was really hard for me. Can we, can we fix this? Um... And forgive. Forgiveness is kind of a prerequisite to going and asking the questions, right? You've got to cancel the debt. And then um, the last one that really, there's so much meat in this. So much, so much symbolism of the Savior. And this one came from one of our core team members, Dennis Lee. He says, give up your right to be offended. Right? Jesus never picked up an offense his whole life. And he's, so there's, a, there's an example in Scripture and in his life for everything. And so if you're feeling offended, Jesus will show you how to let go of that. <clears throat> so Paul wrote to the Colossians about this very thing this way. He said in Colossians 3, I'll give you a second to look that up if you want to. It's my water bottle. <laughs> no, it's actually my hidden Star Trek communicator. Darn it. <laughs> Kirk, you're not supposed to call me there in preaching. Um, so Colossians 3. Yes, I'm a geek. I'm an absolute geek. Star Wars, Star Trek, all of it. I love it. So Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. 
but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Okay, so next obstacle is quitting and or isolation. Those two are like conjoined twins. Um, Hebrews 10.25, if you're really fast, you can get there, but it's short, so I'm just going to read it. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is, the, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day, capital D, day, approaching, the last day. So, yeah, we'll just let that stand. Because we can isolate both physically from, from the body of Christ, and we can isolate mentally. We can show up to church and be somewhere else. But that isolation, that quitting, is really attractive sometimes. As someone who has a long history of withdrawing in order to manage things. But I want to encourage any of you who also have this tendency that turning toward the person you're struggling with and leaning into your leadership, your close friends you can trust, who you know aren't going to go blab, like those things are where the growth happens. Because you open yourself up in scary ways, and then God has room to work and to move. Um, And then on the flip side of that, Proverbs 18 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but, expo- but in expressing his own heart. Um, isolation also cuts off wise counsel. In Proverbs 11, it also says, is that an also? No, that's not an also. That was 18 I just read. So Proverbs 11:14 says, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When you're, I don't know if anyone here knows anything about mountaineering, where you take a map, and a compass, and you go into the woods, and you have to figure out where you are. I learned when I was 15, I don't remember now the particulars of how to do it, but you have to find landmarks and be able to triangulate where you are. You need more than one data point. Because if you're just like, I'm here, so on the map that must be here, except you might be over there. And so a multitude of counselors gives you more data points, more perspectives, in order to know really where you are on that map. Because who here knows? We think we know ourselves really well. We think we see what's going on. Not usually. (laughs) 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 So yeah, isolation cuts off wise counsel. And and wise counsel is such a, a source of strength and encouragement and beauty and power in the body of Christ. Okay, trying to not. So the next one is divisive behavior. Um, and I'm just going to talk about four obstacles right now. I'm sure there are others. These are just the four God highlighted to me. Um, but divisive behavior often comes on the heels of offense, right? Because we're offended and then we are a little snippy with someone, or we don't go and help somebody when we know they need help, or, you know, whatever. Um, Or we get combative and defensive, right? The mindset shift, I wanted to get that right, for this one, (laughs) is in James 4, 6 through 8. Yeah, James 4. James 4, 6 through 8. Paul just muted my communicator. (laughs) So James wrote, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your your hearts, you double-minded. That experiment did not work so well. Um, Alrighty, so, yeah, the answer for divisive behavior is humility. We submit to God and the devil 
literally flees when we resist him. And then in Titus 3, 9, it says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, conspiracy theories, and strivings about the law. Y'all can have your conspiracy theories. Let's just not fight about them in church. Um, For they are unprofitable and useless. And then the last one. So that, that first James, hello, there we go. Where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the mindset we need to have, right? And then, but it, then the Titus verse, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions. That's the what not to do. And then here in Romans 12.10, we have what to do. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Let me read that again. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. That goes right back to that willing cooperation, mutual submission, right? Okay. Last, not last, almost last, obstacle is gossip. And I mentioned earlier, one of our core values of relationship is believing the best, right? And a lot of you probably heard this. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, the Lord lists off, the psalmist lists off, he says, these six things the Lord hates, indeed seven, the seven are repulsive to him. And it goes down the list. And that last seventh one that's repulsive is, and one who spreads discord or rumors among brethren. That's in the Amplified Version. Um, <clears throat> yeah, gossip and offenses overlap in third-party offenses, like I said earlier. This is really getting technical, almost done. Where you pick up an offense on behalf of a third party, and then you go talk about it, and that starts the gossip chain, right? So here's the answer, Philippians 4.8. Most of you are familiar. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. Don't meditate on the offense or or picking apart what happened, or he said, she said, what's true, what's good, what's praiseworthy, what's just about that situation, about that person. Meditate on those things. Build a case for them instead of building a case against them. Okay. Last one is independence. And Jesus modeled this one so well, where he was talking to his disciples, and he said, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. And that's John 5, 19. And if that's not a picture of not independence, I don't know what is. Um, but yeah, we, we have to depend on the Lord and on the ones that we're called to be one with in order to see this stuff the stuff. And in order to see the full extent of the era, like Mark said. Um, so, last little bit on independence. Genesis 2.5, and I just heard this Friday night. It was amazing teaching from Tim, Tim Caton, who was speaking at the River of Life. Genesis 2.5 says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land... And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So there was no growth because God hadn't made it rain because there was nobody there to work the ground. That word work also means to serve. Like most of, like most of the definitions for that part of speech for that word are talking about serving and ministering to, and there's only one, one line item there for work. There's like four or five different little aspects of the definition. So God hadn't made it rain because there was no one there to serve the needs of the growth. And so you gardeners out there know this really, really well. In my house, my husband just finished pruning blueberries. And if something is growing, it just grows all over the place. With blueberry bushes, they throw out fruiting branches, and non-fruiting branches. And 
that's just how a blueberry bush grows. But you got to go in, you got to weed them, you got to prune them, you got to prune the old wood that doesn't fruit as well, you got to prune off just the leaf branches that won't produce fruit because you want all the strength to go into the branches that are going to produce. And But if nobody's there to do those things, the bushes get old and woody and they stop bearing over time. This new, the new growth will still happen, but that old growth is still being supported by the roots, but it's not producing anymore. And so, you know, we all, we all have prayed for the rains of heaven to come, for revival to come again. But I have to wonder if the rain hasn't come because we're not positioned yet to steward the growth well. So that's just something to kind of think on for a while. There's no guilt, shame, or condemnation there. It's just like, hmm, Lord, how do you want me to prepare for this? How do you want me to serve this ground, this field, right? And uh, as far as personal growth grows, we need gardeners in our lives. We need people who can come and say, that branch has got to go. I know you love it. I know you're attached to it. It feels like, you know, it's part of who you are, but it's not serving you well. It's not bearing fruit, sapping your energy. We need someone who can look at the overall shape of, the, of our bush and go, these branches are crossing here and rubbing, and that's going to break the bark and introduce disease and allow pests to come in. So that's one really important aspect of growth that we don't always talk about is that we need gardeners in our lives. We need people that, we're, that we trust, that we're submitted to, who can give us honest feedback, more data points like I talked about earlier. Okay. So as believers, we're called to guard unity. In Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace being one body and one spirit, as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Or he's instructing the Ephesians to be faithful to guard that unity. Guard it. I can unpack that one for days. Um, but we'll move on to 1 Corinthians 13 instead. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongue of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And Paul goes on from there, talking about how the gifts are worthless without love. Love is one of the main ways that we guard unity. Because love is undeterrable, it's unstoppable, it's unrelenting, it's unoffendable, it's unshakable. Anytime that we feel offended, shaken, like we're done, we want to relent, where's the love? Like, when I'm in that place, I'm like, okay, God, where does your love need to come and fill me? Where do I need to love better or differently? Um, love makes a way where everything else can't. No tactic, no paradigm shift can make a way where love can. Um, and love truly does conquer all, including independence, gossip, and the other two things I just talked about. Um, yeah, so there are some ways that we can really help guard unity. One is we guard our hearts, because um, that's where everything flows from, right? What we treasure up in our hearts is what comes out from the overflow of the heart, the mouth, speak, mouth speaks. And so we can guard our hearts, really be aware of what we're letting in and what we're cherishing in there, right? We can guard our mouths. I mean, our thoughts. Thoughts come next. We can guard our mouths, what we say, how we say it. And we can pray. We can pray for unity. We can pray for people we see are struggling with unity. We can pray however we're led to help guard that unity. Um, so, you know, those of us who are called here are called here to build the kingdom in the way this house is called to build the kingdom, right? In the specific function of Harvest Valley Worship Center, which I won't repeat again. Um, right? We're unified by the vision and the purpose that we have here in this part of the body of Christ. And we're unified by our leadership, right? Um, unhealthy unified community serves to nurture the injured, to strengthen the downtrodden, to empower the oppressed, and to draw out destiny 
and potential where maybe nobody sees it because love makes a way, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And most of all, we're called to bless. Bless, bless, bless. And um, healthy, unified community offers perspective outside of the emotion of the moment or circumstance. And it keeps us, each one of us, from careening off the rails in as much as we'll let ourselves be kept on the rails, right? Um, and my favorite part is that we're called the bulldoze the gates of hell and establish the kingdom of heaven where the kingdom of darkness has been entrenched. Because Jesus redeemed it all, everything, every aspect of humanity, all of creation, it's all redeemed. We just have to reclaim it. And that looks like love. So I've known for a lot of years that I'm called within the four walls here at Harvest. Um, and I know my mission in the moment. You're seeing a lot of it today. Um, I didn't know it would be seven and a half years between when I first heard the call of God on my life, being called into ministry, and handing an application to Pastor Chris to start that process. Um, but I'm glad that I took every opportunity that I had in the meantime, because I've been equipped, I've been mentored, I've been trained, have been refined. <laughs> um, so many different ways. <laughs> Um, it's looked like a lot of things. I've helped, you know, I'm, I'm helping kids' church right now, and I'll be, I don't know how long I'll be doing that. But I'm happy to do it, because I'm learning stuff I didn't know before. Um, I led the clean team for a couple of years. I've, I mean, if it needed done and I could do it, I did it. So I just want to encourage you all, where are you called? And if you're called here, what are you called to do right now? What does that look like? And if you don't know, we have amazing leaders that are really good at drawing that out and pressing into prayer. So have a conversation. Have a conversation with someone that you trust with the welfare of your soul, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'll wrap up here for an activation. Let's take a minute and check our hearts. Let's just think for a minute. Is there anywhere in my life where I tend to get into divisive behavior or hold on to offense or gossip or tend to be independent or want to quit or withdraw. Um, I'll just give you a second to think about that. Yeah, ask the Holy Spirit if you've been, to reveal to you if you've been creating obstacles. Um, to unity in the body of Christ. And then I'll just I'll just lead anyone who's in that space. I'll just lead us in some prayer. Lord, I pray you would forgive us for partnering with these things that create obstacles to unity in your body. And I right now, Lord, we offer up those behaviors, those thoughts, those beliefs, whatever's attached to that, and we, we lay it down at the foot of the cross and we say, come fill us, Holy Spirit. Renew our minds and hearts and teach us what it is. Show us what it is we need to do differently. Show us how to love. Show us how to be kind. Show us how to draw out of others what it is that you have placed in there. And help me change that behavior so I'm building unity instead of not. In Jesus' name, amen. Now for everybody, I hope that we can, I hope that we're all on board with unity. And if not, I hope you can get there soon. Because we've got stuff to do. No, just kidding. Um, it's not about performance. <laughs> um, but maybe building, so I want, I want you to, I encourage you, encourage you to think about ways you can build unity. And a lot of times that looks like building relationships. So maybe that looks like coming to life groups. Maybe that looks like helping someone that you know. 
Um, maybe it looks like forgiving someone um, or forgiving a leader. Um, believing the best about that person who does that one thing that really gets under your skin because we're all human. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear the testimonies that come from this. If anyone feels like sharing them after, after it all comes out, comes together. After, after Jesus does his thing. Um, so, uh, let's pray. Um, God, I thank you that we're, we're called here to build a spirit-filled culture that is marked by unity. And I pray, Lord, that, that you'll open our minds and our hearts and our, our, our capacity to be unified. To, get to, to receive our worth and our identity from you so that any of, any of our hobby horses or our soapboxes, they don't need to define us and we don't need to be the most correct person in the room in order to have value. I pray, God, that we can receive our value from what you say and from the way that we love. Um, and Lord, I thank you that we're willing to take a stand here, to be of one accord, to walk in unity, to work together and build relationships through the awkward and the hurt and the misunderstandings, to be of one accord here with the vision and the leadership of Harvest, and to experience the wonder and the joy and the miracles that come as we're unified in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.